Good evening, everyone. I know there's a few that share with me a little sense of jet lag, but that's okay. It is great just to be here today. Uh, one of my favorite moments last uh, evening, or actually this morning, uh, when we were praying was uh, uh, since the New Year's, we've done a couple of surveys, just getting prayer requests and other things. And so we divided those up between all the people that were there and then just prayed together. People had written their names on the prayer request, then even though they weren't there physically, it just—it was just amazing. It, it kind of felt like the room just got fuller and fuller of people. I was kind of expecting to see, you know, all of you there. Uh, but you know, we do understand that this is a, a little bit of a taxing physical event, and not just for everybody. Um, but also, I just wanted to say that uh, after just the response and the way that everyone uh, enjoyed themselves last night in that time of prayer. Uh, we've decided to do another one in May and then another one in September. So just every four months we're going to do this. Uh, it works quite well, I think, at least satisfactorily while we have a 4 p.m. Uh, Sunday afternoon service. That does help a little bit. Who would agree with that? Yes. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, being the one who's often preaching or doing something like that. Uh, but let's turn over in our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We've been journeying through the book of Acts... And, and hopefully as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've realized that the Word of God truly is prophetic in that God working with people often gets repeated through time. In other words, we read about God's relationship with somebody, maybe even a promise He made to Abraham, but we realize that in some way He's making a promise to us as well. And as we read that story, we can actually see ourselves in that story. And it's really awesome to have the book of Acts which basically gives us about 30 years of church history. And the good thing about this church history is it's inspired. Uh, lots of times there's history, but we don't really know what to believe exactly or how to put it all together, because it sort of depends who wrote it. But it's encouraging to have a 30 years of history that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we know that we can read it and trust it and really uh, see God's truth in it. So we're going to be reading a story, quite a, quite a, a fun story really, uh, a story of Cornelius and, uh, and just what happened with him as he was seeking for God. And I want to just again share what I've been doing for the past four sermons. I've been just sharing a little bit with you of just some of the things that I've seen in my life. Uh, Tammy and I have been, uh, in the, I've been in the ministry now for uh, about 31 years. Uh, Tammy's came along about two years later. It didn't take her too long to uh, uh, join the team. And uh, you know, now we've been working together for almost three decades. So it's, 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 it's a shared history, really. But it is, for me, very encouraging. I remember just as a young disciple reading through the book of Acts and thinking, wouldn't it have been great to have been there? But see, I really believe now that, that wasn't me- it wasn't meant to be a nostalgic moment for us. Or even just a wish of being in a different time under different circumstance. Instead, it was meant to be something where we could find ourselves. Where we could see actually how God works in the lives of people. And get a little vision and a little inspiration for how He can work in our lives today. So, let's just start over here in Acts chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 1. Acts 10, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, 
He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. You know, it's kind of an interesting story just there. Because as we know, we know it's going to engage in a moment the apostles and some of the disciples from the church in Jerusalem. But the story begins simply by looking at a devout man who at this point in time has no connection whatsoever with the church, maybe knows nothing at all about Jesus Christ, but he's doing his best to please God. And isn't that encouraging to know that there's people out there, we have nothing to do with them, they're no connection to us, but they're actually right at this moment looking for God. God knows who they are. God knows what's going on. It describes this man, it says, he and all his family were God-fearing. Now if you've raised children, you realize even that's saying something about somebody. It's one thing to say, yes, the man was God-fearing. Maybe he and his wife. But he and his whole family were God-fearing? This man had convictions. This man was serious about what he was trying to do for God. And so it was just him and his family together. It says also he gave generously to those that were in need. You know, he wasn't a believer in our sort of sense yet. But he still understood that God had blessed him and he had the humility to be thinking, well, this blessing isn't just for me. I should be sharing it with others. He got God's attention. God is seeing what you're doing. That's what the angel told him. says also that he prayed regularly. I'm impressed, aren't you? I mean, actually, and you kind of look at that, don't you want to be like him? Uh, Don't you want to be the head of a God-fearing family or part of a God-fearing family? Don't you want to be able to give generously to those in need? Uh, Don't you want to pray regularly? I mean, it sounds like a, a good beginning, a good life even. And this is really an amazing story because he ends up sending for Peter. Now, I'm just reading this now. I've read this a number of times and even preparing for today. But just as I read it this time, it suddenly hit me. When Peter looked down and saw who was coming, there was a soldier at the door. It just hit me as I read it. When the angel said, send two men, I'm thinking, well, what kind of two men would a centurion send? You know, but it says he sent two servants and a loyal soldier. So you can kind of understand about what was going on with Peter as we read. Because it wasn't just two guys knocking on his door. There was a soldier there. We require your presence. <laughs> kind of puts a different little angle on this story, doesn't it? But see, what's interesting is, God sets the times and the place, places, 
In Acts 17, 26 and 27, let's just read that for a moment. Acts 17, 26 and 27. Here Paul is describing just the plan that God has for every person. And he says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should all inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. You know, that was God's purpose. That we would actually be looking for Him. And I think sometimes, because you know we do share our faith, we do talk with people around us, we start to get the impression there's not really open people around. But if we could only see what God can see, right? If we could only see what's going on really in the hearts of men. Some of the people that put up the biggest front that everything is good, they don't need any help, they're fine just how they are, they're the ones that are inside crying, why won't someone help me? And, and have you ever had that happen? As you've been sharing with someone and getting to know someone, they turn out to be totally different than you thought they were going to. See, we can't see what God can see. But it's great to know that God does see what He does and that God has a plan for every person. For each one of us here, God has a plan that we would seek Him and find Him. Well, let's uh, read a little further. We'll go to the next slide. Acts 10, verses 9 to 18. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now just in case you're visiting with us and don't get with these words, according to Jewish custom, some foods were clean, in other words, acceptable to eat, and other foods weren't. You've probably seen around town even halal foods. Halal means it's been blessed or approved in some kind of way. Uh, The Muslims talk about that as well as the Jews. But so, Peter's going, hey, I don't eat that kind of food. That's not on my menu. That's not on my diet. And the voice said, verse 15, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Now, you think Peter would learn that when something happens three times, it's going to be significant, okay? So, and immediately, the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now Peter was just having some prayer time. In our fellowship we might call this a quiet time, personal devotional time. He he went up on the roof to, to just pray. You know, who likes to go out to a place where you have a bit of a view to pray? It's inspiring, isn't it? 
It's nice to be able to look out, you know, maybe look beyond just what everything this man made and see a little blue sky, see some trees, and uh, be a little inspired by that. But, but Peter also was hungry. And uh, maybe he was praying, didn't realize it, but he was actually praying for food, and that's why the vision came this way. But he was hungry, and he got this vision, you know, kill and eat. But it was food that he as a Jew wasn't supposed to be touching. It was unclean. And so he was really wrestling with this. Have you ever had a prayer where you felt like you were wrestling with God? Let's go to the next slide. I want to share something. Okay, this is a... There's three different things here. And all of these three things are part of a quiet time, a devotional time I had with God. Uh, back in... I, I, it was like August 1st or August 2nd. I'd have to look on a calendar because I, I know it was a Monday. But I, was, I went up on the roof to pray. Now, I used Google Earth to see the building where I was living at the time. Now... I don't know what this, the sun, in this Google picture, the sun happened to be shining. I don't know, somebody else was having a quiet time up there. Uh, but what was interesting is that building, it's exactly the same as the building I lived in, but they tore down the one I lived in and built that glass one. So the address still exists, but not the building. But it was on that building, uh, on a Monday morning, early August, I went up on the roof to pray. And I was enjoying my life at this point in time. Just everything seemed to be falling into place. I'd moved to the city of Boston to be a member of the Boston Church of Christ. I'd been there for about 10 months. I was now working as an intern in the church, uh, training in the ministry. Uh, I was really enjoying myself. And, and I just got the most recent bulletin. Every two weeks a bulletin was published. And so this is the July 29th bulletin, 1984. And uh, I was praying through the leaders of the church. And so... Right under the globe right there, it says elders, evangelists, deacons, and I was just praying down that list. But I got down, you wouldn't be able to see it from here, but it says elders, there's two men's names, and then it says evangelists, and there's five names, but the third name down, Fred Fowler. So I got to Fred's name, and I had moved to Boston in September of 1983, and the whole time I'd been in Boston, from 83 until the moment I was on this roof praying, Fred was the designated leader of the Stockholm mission team. And Fred was looking for someone to go with him. And I watched, I, I kind of watched Fred from a distance. We'd had a couple of conversations. Really great guy. I liked him a lot. Uh, but we weren't that close or anything. There was no real connection going between us. But I was just going down the list praying for people that I kind of knew but maybe didn't know even all that well. So I'm just praying, and I got to Fred, and I'm like, God, what, what's up? For the whole nine months I've been here, the elders and evangelists, they've been interviewing people. To, they've been looking for a partner for Fred to go to Stockholm. And, and I don't get it. Nobody seems to want to go. <laughs> and that morning, I was reading through Ezekiel. And you'll see another part of this quiet time. That morning, this is what I had read. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 to 31. And it says there, and it's God speaking, I looked for a man among them who would, be, who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. 
So I'll pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. This was a warning about the destruction of Jerusalem because not one person was willing to stand in the gap. And so I'd read that this morning. And, you know, as I was praying, that theme kind of popped up. And I said, God, I don't get it. Why why isn't anyone willing to stand in the gap? I mean, think about it. I mean, Sweden, it's a great country. Stockholm, it's a beautiful city. Fred, he's a nice guy. Why won't someone go? You know, this, this quiet time changed my life. Now, I had moved to Boston. I'd, I'd already worked uh, as, a, as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. I'd studied missions in... Uh, in university, and I'd gone out on the mission field already, and I I love the third world. I grew up in a fairly affluent family in Canada. The last thing I wanted was to go to a bunch of rich people who had everything they wanted in this cozy culture where they don't need God, they don't have questions, they're just happy, at least on the outside. That, That was the last thing I wanted. I grew up there. I wanted to go to the third world where life was life. Where people asked real questions like, not, are we having Chinese or Thai tonight? But simply, do we have any food tonight? You know, like, 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 not that I'm uh, advocating poverty. I'm just saying, God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Sadly, we get a little bit control of our life and we start, we stop asking the really important questions. Anyways, that was what was kind of going through my mind. The last place I wanted to go in the world was Stockholm, Sweden. And so, I had a little argument with God. Now, it looked kind of funny because, unlike Peter, I didn't have a vision. And unlike some others, there was no voice sounding. Uh, this was all happening in my own heart. I, abs- I totally believe it was with God. But I didn't, well, how do you end that argument? Because I just finished saying, God, why won't someone stand in the gap? What excuse are these people making? I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I mean, I'm going to go to the third world. Isn't that good enough? Please. But you know, I argued with God for about ten minutes. And uh, you don't win those arguments. Uh, you might walk away, and that's not winning. But if you, if you stay till it's over, God wins. And so at the end, I said, okay, tomorrow is our staff meeting. I will go to the elders of the church tomorrow, and I'll, I'll just volunteer to go to Sweden. Okay, and, I, and, and I'll go. If, 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 if that's what they want, that's, I'll go. And, you know, I didn't hear any affirming voice or anything, but in my heart I kind of knew, yep, that, you, you surrendered. You can't do any more than that. It's, it's, this isn't all up to you anyways, but that's, that's your part. You know, sometimes we know so clearly what we want, there's no way we can hear God. Sometimes we're so determined in our plans about what we're going to do, there's just no way we can hear God's point of view in the situation. And I tell you, it takes prayer. To kind of get through, what do I want? And what does God want? You know, Matthew 26 has a wonderful story. Verses 36 to 46. It's the story of Jesus, the Son of God, wrestling with His Father in prayer. He didn't want 
to die. Now it sounds so weird because didn't he come to die? Wasn't that always the plan? Wasn't that the eternal thing? But, but see, just because you know what you should do doesn't mean in your heart of hearts you want to do it. And that's what a change of heart really is. When our will conforms to God's will. Well, let's read a little further in the story. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 19. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, I like this, in verse 17 it said, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, uh, verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision. So, that's good. I, I think Peter's like at least connecting here. I mean, the vision got repeated three times. That is significant. So Peter's still thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and it called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. I mean, he's not letting go of this, is he? He's not letting go of this clean, unclean thing. Because, see, for the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean. He goes, I'm not supposed to be here. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Well, he heard it, but he doesn't seem to fully grasp it, right? Like, he's wrestling with it still. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, this is one of my favorite questions in the whole Bible. May I ask why you sent for me? Okay, this is Peter, the leader of the twelve apostles, who had been personally commissioned by Jesus to go into all nations and make disciples of everybody that he possibly could, to, you know, to preach the gospel... To all creation, I mean, he had all this. He shows up, a crowd is gathered, he's had a vision, and his question is, so uh, why am I here? Now even Cornelius knew that Peter had something he was supposed to tell him. You know, hopefully we don't have non-Christians around us kind of going, Aren't you supposed to be sharing something with me? Don't, don't you know something that I don't know? You know, I think sometimes kind of go, oh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it gets a little uncomfortable. But Peter, the apostle, the word apostle means one sent. Peter, the messenger, turns up at a house, escorted there by a soldier and two servants, and he comes in the door, a crowd is gathered, your typical preacher would be going, wow, this is awesome. But Peter's kind of going, huh, 
Can somebody tell me what's going on here? And you know, technically, it's like yesterday morning, I wouldn't even have crossed this doorway. What is going on? You know, it, it is humorous. Well, i got to continue on with my little personal story. I went to talk to the elders the next day. And as you saw in the bulletin, we had two elders. One was named Bob Gimple, the other one was named Al Baird. And Bob Gimple is a very dry guy. Like, he's, uh, his humor is, uh, he's not very emotional, okay? Really awesome guy, but he's just, you know, doesn't show much emotion. So, I kind of relate to that. So, uh, I went and... I went to him first. But it, was a, it wasn't a good decision because as I was kind of telling him, I, I started to, do you ever have an idea that seemed good at the time and then when you actually go to tell someone else about it, you're like, that's how I was feeling. I was, I was like, okay, this is starting to sound really weird. I mean, what really happened yesterday up on that roof? Was I really talking to God? You know, like, I had all these sort of doubts running through my mind. But really, it was just kind of like, this was a step of faith. I was going to have to really admit, what do I believe? So, anyways, I say to Bob, hey, Bob, something interesting happened yesterday. And, you know, I know, like, no one has talked to me. No one's invited me to go to Stockholm or anything like that. But I was praying for, for you know, the leadership of the church. And I was praying for Fred and... And I just, re- I just realized, you know, I, it wouldn't be right for me not to just volunteer to go with Fred if there's just really no one to go. <sighs> I've done it. You know, so what do you think? And uh, Bob didn't even twitch. Like, he showed me no response whatsoever. But it was almost kind of Spock. I almost feel like his one eyebrow went up, you know. <laughs> he goes, let's call Al over and you can tell Al your story. <laughs> And so I'm like going, okay, great. I've told it once, okay, I can tell it again. So anyway, Al, who's much more emotional, you know, he's, he's so I start telling the story and Al kind of starts like, huh, hmm, wow. I mean, he's like making all these noises and I'm, I'm like, Al, what is going on? And Al kind of goes, he puts his arm around me, he goes, well, I got some really important news for you. I said, what? He goes, two weeks ago, we stopped interviewing people. We made a decision as a leadership. And we've been fasting and praying that God would put it on someone's heart. And they would come and volunteer to us. Of course, I'm like, well, there's somebody else? (laughs) No, there wasn't. He goes, how's your passport? It's good. Three weeks later, I was in Sweden. You know, some, like, how did the guy who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea end up in Sweden? You just heard the story. It was one prayer. Really, the whole argument was only ten minutes long. But the honest truth is that moment did more to change my life than almost any other moment outside of my actual conversion to Christ. You know, I, uh, I'm a good disciple, so I accepted God's will. I mean, what could you say? Go to the next slide. But I was mad. I mean, I knew I should do it, and I agreed to, but I went home and I was like kind of going, 
Why? Why me? Why are you choosing me to do this? I, I, I just, it was, it was tough. And so I stopped at the bookstore, and I wish I had the original map, but it got tattered and it's long gone. But I got, I went home, on the way, my way home, I went to a bookstore and I got a map of the Nordic countries. And this is pretty close to what it was. And so, you know, the map was called the Nordic countries. I got it, I was in this little cellophane pack, I took it out, I put it out on the floor, and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to pray every day for every capital city of those Nordic countries. And I looked at the legend, and there it was, big star, capital cities, and I started, you know, on the east there with Iceland, Reykjavik, Norway, Oslo, Denmark, Copenhagen, Sweden, Stockholm, Finland, Helsinki, and then, the weirdest thing, the map didn't, wasn't quite wide enough, but there was actually a cut into the margin, and there was a sixth star, and it said Moscow. And I just said, as I was praying, God, I'll pray for every star on this map every day. And I had no, I'd never thought about going to Moscow. But then I thought, well, you know what, it's on the map, and I said, I'm going to pray for it. After three days of praying for it, I started to think about something. That part of me that loved the idea of Papua New Guinea kind of went, bloop, went into, over into the Soviet Union. I don't know, there's something about danger and craziness and whatever. And, you know, I was like, okay. And so I started, I started praying about this. And a week later at our next staff meeting, I said, you know, guys, I'm really excited now about Scandinavia. But I think there's something more than this. I think actually from Scandinavia, we're going to go into the Soviet Union. Well, these guys are just like, Great! It's yours! Can we get that in writing? Well, what, you know, and, and so, so from that point forward, this was 1984, uh, at our annual missions conferences, I started speaking about you know, going to, uh, going to uh, the Soviet Union. Now, a couple other things happened that was pretty interesting. One is, the next, so, so you know, I went home from the staff meeting and went home to one of my roommates. His name was Chris Reed. And uh, I said to Chris, guess what? You need to come to Sweden. I told him sort of what had happened. He prayed about it for two days, and he made a decision. And he came with me to Sweden. Chris, now, 30 years later, he is leading the church in Stockholm at this very moment as we're speaking. Uh, During the next year, now this is where it gets really weird. When I joined the Stockholm mission team, there was 14 people. I was like number 14. Four of them were Finnish sisters, or, or two were sisters, but Finnish girls who'd been converted uh, as nannies or students in the U.S. So they had to go home. Their visas were running out. They had to go home. All the rest were Americans. Well, oddly, what happened was uh, there was 14 people, myself, these four Finns, and nine other Americans. By the time we went to plant the church in 1986, none of those nine were on the team. In 1985, Fred, the guy I was praying for to go help, he decided not to go. And so I was just saying, okay, God, I'll go to be the helper. They delayed the planting for a year and then sent me out in 1986 to actually plant the church. Everything kind of changed. Uh, during those next couple of years, we hosted two Soviet missions conferences. And uh, it was interesting, just the interest of people coming from all around the world to visit us and be part of those conferences. But in the autumn of 1988, I found Cornelius. 
There's this woman, 48 years old. She was walking out on the street, and one of our youngest members of the church, half her age, was just out sharing her faith, named Anna Karin. She met Harriet on the street. Harriet was a teacher administrator of one of the most uh, distinguished schools for the deaf in Stockholm. Very accomplished woman, 48 years old. She's met by this young woman, half her age. And this young woman starts sharing about, well, you know, I, I was an au pair in London. I moved back to, uh, to Stockholm here. And uh, I'm, I'm part of this non-denominational church and started sharing about it. And this woman, Harriet, just said, I'll come. And in just a few weeks was baptized. And so the older women in the church are like, I mean, this is a 48-year-old woman, professional for two decades already. We're like, you know, would you like one of the older people to study with you? And she, her answer was this, no. God used this young lady, Anna Karan, to reach me. I believe she needs to be the one to teach me the Bible. Well, then we had this end of the year celebration. And Harriet gets out her journal that she started as a teenager. Her journal in her search for God. And throughout her whole teenage years, she kept putting in entries. She was reading her Bible. She was visiting churches. She was trying to find the truth. And finally, her last entry when she was like in her early 20s, God, I have looked everywhere and I cannot find it. I don't know what to do. Can you not find me? And that was the last entry. When Anakaran met her, and that would have been more than 20 years later, The first thought that came to Harriet's mind was, this is God's messenger to me. You know, the point is, we don't know what's going on in people's lives around us, do we? We don't know how God is setting things up. You know, one of the things I've noticed with people that I've met that have become disciples, that have become Christians, is that God was already working in their life long before I ever came along. God was already knocking on their heart. God was already organizing circumstance. And they were already having, very often, specific thoughts and questions that really only God could stand behind. These aren't the kind of questions that Satan wants people to have. These are questions to which only God can give the answers. And see, God is working out there, and there are Cornelius... Cornelius 2,000 years ago, and Harriet. But you know, it was for me, at this point in time, we had nothing really significant in the Nordic countries that happened in looking towards Moscow yet. So I was like, this, this is amazing. Harriet's prayers have been answered. And this is a good enough reason for me to understand God wanted us to come here because of Harriet's prayers. We'll just read a little further. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. And we'll close out the story here. Acts 10, verses 30 to 48. So uh, Peter asked, you know, hey, may I ask why you, why you called for me? And here's the answer. Cornelius answered, well, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a job for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. 
Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything, and I love this line, the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to be telling you guys. The gospel. Right. Okay, I got it now. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. You know, if we go to the next slide. Oh, so you did show them the picture of Harriet. I never looked back at the screen. So you guys did see Harriet up there. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay. Um. You know, there was something bigger going on in this situation than simply the conversion of Cornelius and his family and friends, even though that is absolutely important. Something was changing in the understanding of the church at this moment. And up until this time, the church had been completely Jewish. And God was breaking down a barrier here, and he was starting with Peter. Peter... It's time to take the message to the Gentiles. Now, on the day of Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had been poured out, which is really the presence of Jesus. The person of Jesus had been poured out over all the earth. Jesus had been a man. He'd been God before, been taken human form, ascended after his resurrection, and now was given by God the Holy Spirit again, and he became like God again, completely surrounding and filling everything. And so Jesus is here. But that was invisible. And so there were signs that accompanied it, and there was miraculous signs in the heavens, and there was also this speaking in tongues, which according to the scripture is speaking in human languages. And so it was miraculous. People from all over the world heard the gospel being preached in their native tongue. Wow. Well, as Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the people he's preaching to, and they start speaking in languages they hadn't studied. And he's like going, I finally get it. This is equality. The Spirit was given not just to us, 
but to everyone. Now, there's something else here that's just worth noticing. If you go back to Acts 2.17, we see just the beginning of Peter quoting a scripture from the Old Testament, from the book of Joel. And it says, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, which is probably, we don't know exactly, maybe seven, eight years before this story with Cornelius, he'd already preached, God's poured his Spirit out on everyone. It's available for everyone. Now you need to repent and be baptized to receive it inside, but it's out there available. So he'd actually preached the right thing. He said the right thing, but he didn't understand it. He, said, he, he read and said, all people. But in his mind, he's thinking, all Jews. All Jewish people. Yeah, it's all people, but you've got to become a Jew first, and then you've got to become a Christian. And so God broke that down. Of course, this explains another scripture very well. Go to the next slide. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Here Peter writes something that when you think about his story, it's very interesting. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was speaking. He spoke the truth, but he didn't even know what he was saying. He didn't understand the full message of what he was sharing. He had preached the Spirit's poured out on all people. It took eight years and a repetitive lesson and a number of interesting circumstances to finally wake him up. Everyone. God wants everyone to become disciples of Jesus Christ. We know the, the story in Stockholm. We, we, like I said, had a couple of Soviet missions conferences. That was pretty exciting. In 1991, uh, actually in, in late 1990, it was decided that we would put together a team to move to Moscow. And, uh, you know, that, that, what was interesting about this team is, for the most part, no one spoke Russian. That's, that takes, an, that's an interesting concept when in fact, probably only 1% of Russians spoke English at the time. But anyways, uh, we went out in faith, and uh, we were praying, of course, that we would be able to translate as many bilingual people as possible. We were looking for that 1% uh, very zealously. But we made that decision in 1990 to put a team together. In those next six months, in Copenhagen, a Russian physics student was converted. In June, a Latvian badminton player was converted. Now, Ivars... He visited us about two years ago. I think some of you remember Ivars being here, uh, visiting the congregation. But Ivars had escaped the Soviet Union. He was the number 17 youth badminton player in the whole 200 and 300, sorry, 300 and, no, sorry, two, 250 million people of the Soviet Union. This kid was number 17. He got over to Sweden and a badminton club gave him a place to live. I mean, this guy was good. They, they, they were taking care of him. And on one night off, he was out in the park and a Christian met him. And they started having this conversation. And poor Ivers. It, it was just so traumatic for him because he, he knew God was talking to him. And so, you know, he started studying the Bible. 
And then he found out that there's a mission team going to Moscow. We don't have anyone who speaks Russian. Ivars, how's your Russian? Now you got to understand something about Ivars. Ivars is a Latvian. They were an occupied country by Soviet forces. They hate the Russians. And, and Ivers is just like, no, no, I'm, ne- I'm never going back. I'm not going back to Latvia, and I'm not going back to Moscow. And, we're, and, and the, the brothers stayed in the bubble. But Ivers, we need you. So Ivers came on the, on the Moscow mission team, a six-week-old Christian. At the first, we, we arrived, the team, Tammy and I got there about six weeks early. We got some things going, got a hall arranged, various things. Ivers and the team came in about a week before. Ivers was hilarious because Ivers, still in his heart of heart, was, was fighting that he didn't like Russians. So his typical way of inviting people would say, you wouldn't like to come to church, would you? I mean, he couldn't have put it more negatively. It wasn't out of fear. It was just out of like, you know. At the first worship service of the Moscow church, after the team just being there for six days, team of 17, we had 268 people show up at the first service. Well, we went through the visitor cards and about 90% of the people filled out the cards. Guess who had the most visitors? (laughs) We were sorting through the visitor response cards, you know, and... Kept it, go- it was like, you know, Andy one, and one, uh, Ivers five, you know, uh, Elkie three, Andy one, Ivers ten. You know, I mean, it's just like, what? What's going on here? Ivers had 40 visitors. He was Jonah to the core. He was like, I don't want to be here. This isn't the mission that I should be on. And yet God used him in an incredible way. You know, we were in Russia for eight years. And after eight years, we left. There was 15 Soviet republics. We had churches in every republic, 24 congregations all together, about 9,000 disciples. Today, there's about 55 congregations in the former Soviet Union. All of them came from that planting that happened in Moscow, all spread out from there. You know, I don't know what you think can happen in a prayer time. But you know what, I think the truth of this matter is simply is, if God changes your mind, amazing things can happen. I wonder how many times we walk away from a prayer and we won the argument. Or we didn't really hear what God wanted us to hear. But what's exciting about this whole story is, there are open people that God is working in their lives and simply waiting For someone. For someone to come and share with them. Let's just close with Romans. Romans chapter 10. And verse 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And this is the last verse of the prophecy that Peter quoted from Joel 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've been given beautiful feet by God. Let's go and do what Jesus would do as he was here. Just love the people around him and share the truth of God with them. I ask the worship team to come up and take their places as we pray. Our Father and God, we thank you so much that we could gather today and just spend this time in your word. And Father, really pray that, that we can seek your will to the smallest detail in our lives, Father. That we really look for you in everything that's going on around us. And Father, I pray for the people around us that are seeking you that we're not aware of. And I pray that, that our mouths would be open and I pray that our hearts would be open to building relationships and crossing barriers and uh, breaking down uh, preconceptions that we have in our own hearts. Father, sometimes we think, well, that person's not open, but the truth is, it's us that's not open. And I pray that we just become those very eager and willing servants who do what Jesus would do in our situation. Father, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.